Oh, geez, sorry. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome back. We are, and it makes sense. It's it's spooky. Ghost Riders, right? Hey, that was welcome, figured. <laughs> welcome back to your favorite media response show. This is, of course, X's for Show, and we're bringing to you our favorite thing, comics. Uh, I am Nico. You can find me at Nico Action. It's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and the show can be found at X's for Show. And I'm TK, and you can find me at TK Elemental. And as always, since this is a comic broadcast, you can find me in the corner. I'm your producer, Kevo, at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And we are here to talk about just one of the most, the more I read about it, one of the most unbelievable aspects of the Marvel Universe that absolutely nobody takes any care of uh, at all, ever. We're here to talk about the Ghost Riders. Oh my gosh, we're going to talk so much Ghost Riding. Uh, it's going to be like Ghost Ride, the Ghost Ride, the Ghost Ride. It's going to be crazy, you guys. Now, are we getting into our motivation and methodology at all behind why we're doing this, or are we just going into it? I mean, let's, 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 because let's, because you don't take on what I've taken on and what you've taken on and what Kevo's taken on by extension. Uh, lately, I have personally, in the last month, read 400 Ghost Rider comics. I'm exaggerating. It's like 215 but it really is like 215. <laughs> it's a lot. I don't think I've read that many. I really, I really respect your uh, willingness to commit. Uh, but like, and like, don't get me wrong. I read a lot more uh, volume three than um, was prescribed for sure. But then like, there was stuff on our reading list uh, that really needed more context. Uh, and then I even went beyond that. But a lot of it really is... Uh, it. You can start to get a sense for when it's just not going to help. Uh, and I step off there and I go have a soda or play a video game. You keep reading and I respect you so much for it. Uh, I can't do it. A lot of the time this is one of the times in which i actually it was less about it not being you've made me read some things where i'm like this was not worth reading uh and so and like the supplementary material will not be any better this actually there is a lot that i was like i'm super into this i just can't get bogged down uh or it's not going to be super helpful but it's actually very enjoyable and what's so fascinating about the depth of Ghost Rider is the very first Ghost Rider was like, I'm a guy on a horse and I'm riding my horse and I'm a cowboy man. And that's the first Ghost Rider. And that's ridiculous. And then in the 70s, you get uh, a motorcycle stuntman who makes a deal with Satan and gains a flaming head and the ability to speak Shakespearean vengeance quotes. Sure. And um, that's not much better. And then uh, it gets increasingly insane. And like, sometimes they even get rid of the pretense. Sometimes they just jump in with this guy wants vengeance. And like, that's it. That's, that's the whole story. Uh, so we decided to take a look at every single person who has ever been a canonical 616 ghost rider who is not also something else. So, uh, you know, I know Black Panther has been Ghost Rider, Captain Marvel has been Ghost Rider, Captain America has been Ghost Rider, Hulk's been Ghost Rider, uh, Wolverine, but we're not looking at people who are other things too. We focused 
on the mm, 40 or so characters who are spirits of vengeance. Nailed There's it. also like a ton that we're not going to cover. Uh, like every, you know, like every little dude that's in the background of, uh, you know, hell racers. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, I have information on all of them. I know you have information on them, but like, we're not doing whole. Yeah, no, we're trying to get this whole thing into three episodes. So pray for us. Yeah. Um, I guess pray to Satan or maybe... Uh, Marta Curios. Oh man, just pick your team. Motorcycles, just yeah. the general automotive industry. Yeah, yeah, just pray to Detroit, right? Um, yeah. so, uh, the also, hey Tom. Oh, hey Tom. Hi Tom. Right. So I want to put out there that there did you know some big cool things have been happening for Ghost Rider. You know, we're playing a little bit funny because the people that we're talking about today are a little bit exhausting. Uh, we're going to talk about some stories next episode that are a little bit more exciting. We're going to talk about some characters in that last episode that are just truly thrilling. But this is the one that I would say is like the canon episode. Real talk. Um, I forgot how much I love Ghost Rider 2099. Oh, gosh. Okay. I really mm. do. I really think it is cool. Um yeah we'll get into it more okay yeah we will we will because i bet you can make me like it i don't yeah. hate it i just don't get it but um so one of the coolest things that ever happened to ghost rider is uh the unbelievable that is kushala who is a sorceress supreme and ghost rider combo and she goes by spirit rider or demon rider or uh, she cannot seem to hold down her own series, so it doesn't really matter what you call her because you're just calling her in for a team title anyway. So um, Kushala was part of the Marvel Contest of Champions vote to get this person into the game 2022 for 2023. And, well, amazing, she lost. So, um, you know, I'm shocked that the, that the video game industry didn't pay attention to the native woman. So, uh, you know, the situation was kind of like people felt really disenfranchised by this. And uh, Marvel Contest of Champions decided to make it up to everybody by kind of being like, hey, we want to do an amazing spotlight on like native culture in Marvel. And you guys just don't have enough native characters. <laughs> so we're going to make our own. And uh, we have Chi'ilth, right? Chi'ilth? You wanna... just said Chi'ilth. Chilth? Okay. I, I, you know what? I always want to be really respectful of the apostrophe uh, yeah. because like with Michelle and Diggy Acello, it's just Michelle and Diggy Acello, but like you never want to meet that person who's really serious about the Daelia yeah. Delia, you know? <clears throat> so uh, Kevo, if you would I know this only Kevo. because I heard them pronounce it uh, during Comic-Con. Mm. Uh, which, um, yeah, we've been sitting on this character for a month so that we got this character so quickly uh, was pretty amazing. And uh, this month, they're running a really cool special event in Contest of Champions where it's a Danny Moonstar and uh, Chilth and Kushala uh, trifecta, right? But they are uh, focusing on Chilth and Kushala because they're the new ones this game. And uh, it's just really exciting to see this kind of initiative coming out of a studio who makes a mobile app. What we think about mobile games, guys, I don't know what I would do without Contest of Champions. Like, I've talked on air about how it was my best friend during the pandemic. 
you know, I I would be lost without this app. And I just feel like these guys really go to bat for people who care about these things. And it's very cool. Contest of Champions is super legit. We've done episode coverage on it. Uh, it is a deeply complex strategy fighting game. It's literally uh, running in the background of my phone right now. Mine as well. Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, in order to progress, you really do have to get some serious stat information. I have played other fighters on the phone, and yes, it really is just slapping the screen and hoping for the best. This game introduces a ton of mechanics, almost to the point where I'm like, oh, oh you're a serious gamer? Like, uh, if you're a casual gamer, the, the this game is going to be a bigger problem for you than if you are a serious gamer. Well, and um, speaking of, people do take this game so seriously that um, Extra Life... Like so many gamers were streaming this yeah. for extra life this past weekend. Yeah. I saw at least 10 people play yeah. MCOC. Uh, I will say, you know, again, if you're listening, if you're wondering, I do really have a problem with the fact that there are no, uh, there's no gamepad uh, control and there's no option for that. I think it does kind of kill the potential for esports and for a certain type of gameplay. I personally just really don't like touching my screen that much. I would much rather, you know, have it like that. So if that's a val if that's a concern for you, that's a valid one. Maybe this isn't the best game for you, but it is a phenomenally well done game for, you know, a world that we live in where mobile games are really seen as kind of less than I would say more than the like more than half the time. I think that's a valid critique. This one shockingly great gameplay, and so when you realize that the gameplay is so shockingly great, it's actually really not surprising when they introduce a new character. They get up at Comic Con and talk about specifically that they, uh, you know, paid and consulted with actual native peoples to create a character. That they also uh, paid writers. Rebecca Roanhorse wrote. Uh, the Shield uh, Unlimited comic that came out today. And I got to say, guys, that was, uh, or I said came out today, came out this week. Uh, it was one of my top com uh, comics of the week. It um, It's a really simple, basic, just origin of how this character came to exist at all. And then it's like, and one day she went to the Contest of Champions. <laughs> but like... <laughs> In a world where origin stories are either 60 plus years old, uh, as in the case of the X-Men, you know, Ghost Rider is not much younger than that. And so when you read the actual origin story, the actual writing is terrible and stupid. It's generally there's something racist in there or insanely sexist. And you just kind of are like, okay, how do I imagine this happened for me? Or you look at the you know, updated version that has come out since. Or the character gets introduced in, like, deeply complex lore of a book that you... And so there's no real... You're like, and oh, it's like, Origins... It's like Voices, Unlimited, Volume 2, Number 17 to But just the 21. sixth panel. Oh, my God, yes. And so to get a character who this one, like, it's five pages of really simple but well-told origin story that could apply forever, uh, I think is super, super awesome, super cool. I love to see her there with Danny and Kushala. 
Um, that, that Kushala image, man. I am like yeah. scratching at it hype to get my hands on a five-star Kushala like tomorrow, man. Really and truly. Um, and so, you know, tangential to uh, the Ghost Rider coverage because we've got Kushala in the mix, but um, no less exciting. No less exciting. I could not be more... Uh, Hype for this, if for no other reason, it is a really cool opportunity to see some characters that just don't get enough love across the board, spotlighted, spotlit, spot, sp spotlit, 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 alongside a character who is just such a sorely missing element of the Marvel Universe. I couldn't be more excited. And uh, it's really great to see three native women's uh, on an image for a, a Marvel game when we were just talking about the dearth of native women's in you know, the entirety of Marvel, right? Yeah. So, all right. From a ghost writer we love very much to the ghost writer who started it all. Uh, we are here, of course, to talk about none other than Johnny Blaze, Danny Ketch, and then some weird shit. But we're going to start where it all started with Marvel Spotlight, volume one, number five. Uh, so I read this and I guess I'd never read it before, you know, this, why channel, would you, well, yeah, this, this is exactly the origin story that I'm talking about. This sucks. This sucks. And like this channel does a lot of silver age comics. We do a lot of golden age comics too. We've you know, we're going to do a couple of, uh, really cool projects that mix the two together. Uh, anybody who's a fan of things like, oh, we, I have a really cool, uh, you'll never believe it. Marvel's kind of tie in to, uh, this later on. But, you know, when I read this issue, Marvel Spotlight number five, I could see how this was a missing piece of the Marvel 70s puzzle I had just not been aware of. This issue does hurt for its era, for when it was written, for the stylization of the issue. But I think that the main thing I took away from it is I kept reading and I read the next issue. Uh, and the next issue has a two-page recap of this issue that is so much better than this issue. Yeah. You should just read number six. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I do. I appreciate the aesthetic and visual component of it. You know, there's some very uh, Lichtensteinian panels of Johnny Blaze and um, Roxanne Simpson slash Blaze. We'll get to it. Um, and First issue. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean, you really get like... Um, this is very pop art. Even the the Ghost Rider visuals are are cool and interesting and a it's little bit better than I thought for the time. Yeah, um, I just think I think it's really difficult for us to understand, relate to, and really even work with. Uh, this kind of pulp genre comic um this is like this is the start of a horror book that is bound by the comics code in a time where horror budgets are uh 
not matched by human imagination. So even like the grindhouse films of the 70s, nobody, you know, if you go watch Hostel or Saw, like the reason I don't like those movies is because the technology we have today is so good that my brain cannot be like this isn't happening there's nothing there's no cue that isn't happening a okay. stylized like sexy movie of today is cool because it will have bad effects on purpose like a kill bill where you slice off oren Ishii's head and it's nobody blinks you know uh somebody gets decapitated and the blood spatter is just so silly nobody is like this is too real for me but hostile is too real in the 70s, like even something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, these just weren't realistic to people. And so a lot of horror, it's like people were having fun with it, but it wasn't super uh, like the, the shock value wasn't there in the same way. And the sort of torture porn of it was not there in the same way. Then you get to like a comic budget and horror has no chance. You can have every trope of horror. You can have Satanism. You can have demons. You can have things on fire. But there is just no ability and there's no sophistication in the writing to bring you any really solid convention of the genre that we would recognize today as being exciting. So you are essentially just kind of reading the pulpiest most like tropiest parts of the genre distilled into a form that you can pick up cheaply and kind of turn off your brain to for lack of a better set of uh, phrases and i hear i i really love that thesis i really hear what you're saying about one of the things that makes this such a challenge is the transformation of financial scale is right. one of you. the things that comics you know the return on your investment on a comic is at best, it's going to cost roughly the same and maybe we'll sell a few more copies. No offense to anybody in comics. The return of investment on uh, graphical interface uh, visuals, you know, that's one of the things that they said tanked Flash and made Endgame. You know, the difference between Ruffalo Hulk in every scene and uh, some of the Nicolas Cage super photo imposes of Superman are, are rough. You know, as a comparison, I guess I should bring up Nicolas Cage every every episode of this project. Um, I saw both Ghost Riders in theaters, so wow, Nicolas Cage owes me, I guess. I know. Um, uh, Tom Jane owes you a, a, a thing or two as well. Wasn't he Punisher? Yeah. Oh yeah, he was Punisher. Who was the second? Who was the second Ghost Rider? No, they're both Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Is there two Punishers? Yes, it's that yes. the second Punisher is not Thomas Jane. Okay. Yeah, there we go. he's someone. I'll look it up for you and have that right. respect. It's John well, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. Wes Bentley is Blackheart, which yeah. is equally as rough. No, Ray I really Stevenson. To... Yes, thank you, Ray Stevenson. Oh, that's so funny. Oh you know, no. Yeah. Um. Side note. Uh. I think that one of the things that this movie did act that the Ghost Rider movie did get right actually is how silly this introduction is. Right. Yeah. Um, I could not believe how fucking Buck Wild this whole thing started. Uh, it's immediately in the middle of this battle, and then there's this backstory. There is so much incest in 70s Marvel comics. It's really crazy. 
everybody's always banging their adoptive sister, which, you know, when straight people do it, it's a superhero comic. But when gay people do it, it's a Josman book and you all have a problem with it. So I just want to. It's really, a them thing. It's a them thing. Shame on them. So I just want to say that. The, I mean, you've got Kurt and Amanda Sefton. You've got Ghost Rider and Roxanne well, Simpson. And the most beautiful love story in the entirety of the Marvel Universe. But that one's blood. Uh, the Maximoffs. Who's love? The Maximoffs. Is yep. Maximum. Yep. Um, um yeah, Marvel god there there's one on the tip of my skull, but like yeah, Marvel really did love to be like that child you've known since you were also a child. Who else could you want to get with? And uh the the complicated thing here is I did actually read all of Marvel Spotlight 1 through 8 and it's really clear that in Eight, I'm sorry, five through eight. It's really clear that in eight, the story was taking a change. Like it, it goes to another story, but it's halfway through the issue. The plot of the story immediately following this is the demon that Ghost Rider made his deal with immediately puts the spirit of Ghost Rider's adoptive father into a random criminal who is now going to get revenge on Johnny for his death. And it, it turns out that Crash was always evil uh, but then it, it's not, he wasn't always evil. And then the daughter's in on it and her love for Johnny Horcrux protects him. Mm, and she, he can't be killed because she loves him too much. And it is such an insane turn of events. Like they wrote the first issue. The first issue is okay. Then they came up with this much more horror arc, much more nightmarish the way Marvel would do horror. And it's, it's better, but it's, hard then because i did look into it and crash goes on to appear a lot more times he's used pretty rough here he's 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 made pretty evil pretty quickly but something that this book has is a love of naked sweaty buff men with lots of chest hair just being like i have more masculine power than you no i'm more masculine than you and that's the whole book you can smell the pubic hair it's disturbing it is, uh, I think, disturbing is the correct word. This is one of those things where um, it's, I'm, I'm always surprised that, I guess I'm not surprised, but uh, it would have been interesting to live in a world where Ghost Rider got um, a man without fear. Something to kind of condense, because all of these elements remain. As you said, like Crash appears a lot more roxanne appears a lot more uh and you know it's interesting because there are times that she has to put on the red light but then there are times well, get the fuck out of here no ne kevo cut his mic um <laughs> the all of the elements of the origin story remain but it's a bad origin story as it's written, and it's only updated through not even mostly retcon. Like, yes, a bunch of retcon, but a lot of just like talking about it differently yes. in the 90s, <laughs> oh, which is a really. <laughs> 
which is a really rough way to do it. Yeah, Satan is a great example. It's a demon that gives Ghost Rider his powers. It's not really even Satan. It's, um, it's Satan who is, uh, you know, my my husband Damon Hellstrom's dad, and then it's updated to Mephisto, which is you know what it mostly is. He be eaten, Mephisto, and then um, now it's Lucifer who is the Catholic aspect of Satan. In Marvel, we've got Lucifer, we've got Mephisto, we've got Marduk Curios. Uh, these who are is all also Lucifer, but a different right. aspect of him. Right, exactly. Uh, and Marduk Curios is now the father of Damon Hellstrom. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, Johnny Blaze is still no is no longer sorry was up until um this series started the king of hell so essentially was satan uh the point being like this is all really confused and but like satana or satanish thank you um but from this 70s run it is a very generic satan uh, that is not like a Marvel character that you need to know a lot about with a lot of children and backstory. That's who gives him his powers. And then, like I said, it's just updated through like people saying stuff. Uh, it is never, you never get a recondensed, updated for anything close to the present version of this story the way that you do with daredevil in man without fear one of you know my f now favorite comic origin story rehash products of all time um and it is unfortunate because this is one of the things i think that holds ghost rider back is that there's nothing to connect to oh well we um, got trail of tears so <laughs> There is nothing to connect to. And I, even if you stick with this origin story broadly, I actually think there are really <coughs> possible inroads if you were to update things. Well, you know, we talked about some of the demons that it's been, but I think it's interesting that it's never been tied to some of the lesser demons of the Marvel Universe, like when Belasco was kind of like occasionally positioned as like an actual like Satan-ish force. Um, Dormammu is so different than Mephisto and uh, the others. There's a sort of wealth of demons and devils. Uh, there's just one that I really wish it could be. If I had my choice, no demon but this would give Ghost Rider his powers. And that's, of course, <laughs> him who I always think it's amazing that him is dressed exactly like Angel from Rent. But beyond that, I, it is the season for Tooth Decay. And uh, I think him... <laughs> does Marvel own... Does Marvel own him now? That's a Viacom? It's a Warner Brothers thing. Yeah. Oh, Shame is it Warner them. Brothers? Yeah. Wow. Uh, they have the, at least they have the comic rights at DC. So, uh, yeah, I wish he's that not him... ours. That's the answer. He's not ours. No, no. I wish that him could have given the Ghost Rider his powers. But you know, whatever the muckiness of the origin, all said and done, I don't hold Johnny Blaze to this standard. There's a lot of weird ways in which someone like Captain America has Golden Age era to fall back on. 
Tony Stark got to have the the crappy armor really quickly. To your point about the man without fear, Daredevil had the crappy yellow suit. To, I mean, it's my favorite. Everybody, I have like a bomber jacket, like it's my favorite suit of all time. But uh, you know, it had the yellow suit, well, so which they've also they've redeemed it. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. There's nothing for Ghost Rider to have redeemed but Johnny. So now when Johnny shows up, he is the reclamation of the idea of Ghost Rider that wasn't initially created in the way it deserved. So the the sort of avuncular role he plays to Ghost Riders like Alejandra or uh, to even his own brother, you know, I think it would make his mom proud because I, I, she is now my fucking second favorite ghost writer of all time. That one issue of her fucks yep. harder than yep. any hundred other books of anyone. Yep. <laughs> oh yep. Fully, fully 100% correct. Uh, oh Naomi, Naomi Kale is where it's at. Um, I can't, I, 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 death from Sandman could be yeah. her best friend. Like yeah. she's that cool. Yeah. Uh, and that, that brings us to kind of two branching paths of the problem. Path one, they've actually created so many cool ghost riders and, uh, ghost rider adjacent characters with so much potential and so much interesting stuff, uh, that never really gets used in its own right, in its own capacity. I mean, I've been, you know, for the past four weeks of Halloween before this, uh, and, and before that, of course, too, but, like, I constantly talk about how Marvel Horror has so much available, so much content, so many characters. It it's a, It is a line of potential that could overshadow Krakoa with how much you could do with everything from werewolf by night to man thing to all that setting that aside you could do it for ghost rider alone you could do it for the ghost rider verse like piece of the universe alone now i have a lot of negative things to say about it but did you get through all of the garth ennis ghost rider stuff not yet no did you get, oh, so <clears throat> after the garth ennis stuff you get to the jason aaron stuff and one of the yeah. first things that jason aaron does is he picks up on a thread from garth ennis where somebody says to one of the ghost riders Oh, well, that's another ghost rider over there. And yeah. he goes, no, uh, that can't be. Another. I'm the ghost rider. And right. they go, wow. Why do you think that the only thing that's ever wanted vengeance is a white Christian? Yeah. What? And there's ghost riders in every culture. Yeah. Like, and you're saying just has so much leg. Yeah. I mean, and I, you, there's the mythology is so twisted. It actually could use the brushing out, but it also means that there's a lot of potential for like, well, this is, you know, a ghost rider is what it is because we've said it before in the past and here's the citation. The other problem is, so that's, that's path one. Path two is uh, Bruno Campos. Hey, Bruno says, him rhymes with Sim. Hola, muties. Um, that Hola, is Bruno. actually, that is a big one for me. I do think uh, if I ever got the chance, Limbo's, ghost rider limbo's spirit of vengeance would be a huge thing that i would love to do um Krakoa's. i think yeah well i mean krakoa has one eh. krakoa come on i love vox ignis um but i yeah i think um 
a, a limbo Ghost Rider would be very interesting. The problem is that Ghost Rider always goes back to being Johnny Blaze, the way Wolverine always goes back to being Logan, the way uh, the way there are certain characters, uh, the Iron Man always must be Tony Stark. Uh, and I get it with Logan, and I even at this point, of course, get it with Tony Stark because of the Avengers movies. Nobody yeah. gives it. Nobody gives a shit about Ghost Rider or Johnny Blaze. It really could be anybody. Uh, I love Percy's run, and if Percy is, uh, if Percy was just like the only person I want to write is Johnny Blaze, this is my pitch. I get it, but we were in an era where Robbie Reyes was becoming the ghost rider the much more accessible much more relatable much more person ghost rider and my only really big critique about the percy run is that in the midst of that in the midst of saying robbie reyes is the platonic form of a rider literally literally he is the universe's base idea of a rider this brilliant horror writer all com- writer the all writer exactly this brilliant horror writer comes and says i don't have a single panel in my book for robbie reyes this is a johnny blaze story and it is the single book being published titled ghost rider that is just a bit of a bummer from the perspective of like marvel can't ever get out of its own way or climb and stay out of the ditches it digs itself into and you know when you're talking about things that are are sort of like the ditches that marvel digs itself into when you do just as you said before you're one of your first points was they've created too many fascinating side ghost rider characters yeah and I can't imagine wanting a Johnny book and not wanting a Naomi book now. Right. Um, you know, Ghost Rider Negative One is such a fascinating book because I saw that there was this reference to Naomi Kale and Noble Kale and then a guy just called Which Kale. I bought at the farmer's market today. So Yeah, you know, uh, I I love Kale in my soup. Um, but I love yeah, I was, Kale. I love love, love Kale. Kale. So definitely I, doesn't taste like rubber and dirt. Oh, but if you put it in a cream sauce, um, it's rubber and dirt in a cream sauce. So then I see all of these kales and I'm like, I have a hard time. We're going to try and explain noble kale and no one can. Yeah. But I see that there's this Ghost Rider 78 from volume two. I read it. It's just a psychic landscape torture situation for Johnny Blaze. And he sees his birth mother, his birth mother as like a, an illusion kind of sort of. She's not a real person. She's like, a, it's definitely not Naomi. That's for fucking sure. And so I'm looking at her other appearances and it says her next appearance is negative one. And I'm like, oh, that flashback month they did in the 90s, 97. They did that uh, flashback and it's everybody's earliest stories. And so like Daredevil negative one and Electra negative one. And there's Uncanny negative one and there's X-Men negative one. And they all told different pieces. It was really cool. I could never have dreamt that the ultimate female 90s protagonist, the fucking female version of Brandon Lee's The Crow. I mean, Naomi Kale. I I could not have imagined a better single issue. Uh, what a, what a what a treat! What a pleasure to read. Um, negative one. Because 
when this starts out and until negative one comes out, Johnny Blaze's parents are Evil Knievel and the woman that loves Evil Knievel. And they die and he gets adopted by uh, a traveling carnival. That was the carnival that I is- Mischief Knievel. <laughs> the woman who's married to Mischief Knievel. Yeah. Uh, and so like this vision that you see of his mother is just, uh, it's just, it's a generic Marvel woman. She has no strength. She probably passes out a lot, uh, blonde, of course, and just very weepy, uh, fine, whatever we expect it from the time. No big deal. Flash forward 20 plus years. And this butch ass leather jacket wearing rider pants, crop short, black hair, Pierce smoking butts, kid. getting wasted and puking while she is stalking her children. God, she's so cool. God, this, she's so cool. This is their mom. Uh, and it's, it is, this is actually, this is as close as you're getting to Man Without Fear for, for Ghost Rider because this is a complete and total retcon. That woman is not the woman that you saw in the flashbacks which is perfectly fine that's okay they should not be the same woman because that original ghost rider's birth mom was a was a not good character um but the this new version really speaks to this idea that like it's worth doing the update to get you where you want to be even the idea of this woman had three children and abandoned them all in different ways uh and only seemed to stalk the boys right well yeah um what's her that, gets killed early on uh doesn't fare so great what's a what's dan's sister's name again barbara barbara right yeah. barbara catch thanks bar yeah um so you know it's it is it's stupid it makes no sense uh it's not really even even updating the original story uh we're now 20 years past 20 more than 20 years past that and you kind of look at it and go eh, even for an update it's kind of missing some subtlety but the naomi just gets murdered at the end of the issue yeah um but you know it's it's all uh life and death so i'm i'm just kind of like she can come back anytime um, she's so cool especially yeah. for ghosts like marvel in general but especially with ghost stuff yeah anybody can come back anytime yep oh, she was just that i honest to god dude i was shocked at how much i loved that issue i was i was really and that's why i said to you yesterday did you read this did you read this and you know you were like okay i'll read it i'll read it and i was just like this is the sort of treatment that I feel like they often tell us they gave female characters. Yeah. I feel like we're told, oh no, she was strong. Um, we gave her a drinking problem. That's a man. Thing, so she's strong. No, but the other thing she gives is the most unbelievably concise version of this whole ordeal. Yep. She says, I know I did wrong. I betrayed Barton. I know I abandoned all my babies, but they don't understand why I had to. I'm cursed. My whole bloodline is. I got this ancestor, this guy, Noble Kale. Good people. 
Only he was tricked by this big shot in hell, Mephisto, into betraying his wife and child. Because of that, his wife was burned at the sh- was burned at the stake. Whammo. Noble, Noble gets damned to hell for all eternity. Only somebody from the good guys objected. They claimed that Mephisto broke the rules to gain this good soul. They demanded that Mephisto give up the soul. Of course, he had no heck. They almost had to start a war over it. So they compromised. Noble would be turned into a spirit of vengeance kind of like a cross between a devil and an angel, a ghost rider who'd roam the earth, avenging the spilled blood of the innocent. But Noble wasn't allowed to live on earth, heaven, or hell, so he was sent to this place, a void, a place between the worlds, and the only way he could visit the earth to do his duties was to take over a human host body. These bodies would come from his descendants, the firstborn of each generation. They had no choice in the matter. We're expected to relinquish all control of our lives so that this ghost rider can fulfill his pathetic mission. I can't do that. I refuse to subject my kids to that kind of life. I had to leave them, get as far away from me and my cursed family as possible. Motherfucker, if anybody could just repeat that at any point, at any point. Well, and you have to repeat it because this is the thing. I think most people don't realize that that's supposed to be Ghost Rider. That that is, you know, and somewhere in there, Marvel gets lost on the idea too. <laughs> the Zarathos and Zarathos possessing Johnny Blaze, which is the original Ghost Rider canonically and in terms of time, or sorry, it's the original Ghost Rider that we see. Um, that's a whole other thing. So we now have dueling origin stories for what a ghost rider is. A ghost rider is a person possessed by a spirit of vengeance, which is a a, a demon in hell that possesses people and, and does this thing. Then we shift over to actually it's not that. It is the dead soul of your ancestor that made a deal with the devil that is throughout time possessing people from your family line and this is that is what a ghost rider is that second one is what a ghost rider is for a pretty long time and for a bunch of people um we start to expand when we go to uh michael badalino who we're going to talk about in just a second but like the book we get volume three is Danny catch as ghost rider and that he is possessed by noble kale. He is, he does the thing that Naomi just explained. And the next book that we get is blaze and ghost rider spirits of vengeance. And in that he's blaze because he did not, you know, they repeat over and over again, whatever happened to Johnny is not the ghost rider curse. Even though he was called Ghost Rider in books for decades, he is not a Ghost Rider like Danny Ketch is a Ghost Rider because he was never possessed by Noble Kale because the curse somehow went around him and yet still somehow he is a Ghost Rider. It is very convoluted, which sucks, but it also means you can do whatever you want. Well, okay. Here's what I'm going to say about that within yeah. reason because we reached some yes. real stupid. Yeah. We reached some points where I'm like, ooh, like, I will admit, 
the only way all of this works, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I think, yeah, I think Johnny actually was Ghost Rider the first time around. What are demons but really good liars? <clears throat> and so I bet Zarathos was like, yeah, uh, I'm possessing you. Totally. Those bad thoughts. Oh, it's me. And was just kind of getting his rocks off on it. Was just really enjoying Johnny's torture. Um, because Danny gets the powers by touching a bicycle in a uh, giant trash heap, basically. Yep. Yep, that he is correct. A motorcycle in a trash heap and just becomes the ghost rider. Yep. That's not great. Nope. Do we ever story. find out do we ever find out why it's there or what? That's what I'm even saying. It's yeah. that sort of magical manipulation of everything to make it work. Yeah. It's not that I think Ghost Rider is less imagined than a lot of the other aspects of the marvel universe but rather i think it was less imagined from the outset sure yes. there's things about like daredevil that are kind of weak to start you know it's a lot of kind of he's blind justice puns but ghost rider just was meant to look cool and that lacks even the intelligence of a pun it's awesome but awesome doesn't generate a story and it took a lot of failed attempts to really get there. And I think truly volume three, Danny catches era of ghost rider is easily for me, the worst. This was the one that I just couldn't do. I think this one reeks of nineties in ways that are not the things I love about the nineties. They're in the same genre but they express the trope poorly for me. And I found it just a little mucky. Is that a, an okay word to use? Like mucky. It yeah. felt like I was in the dregs of things I liked. 90s comics and Ghost Rider. But I just never felt like I achieved that that element that makes a book so cool. Like we see with Ghost Riders later on. And I kind of came to the same conclusion from the opposite angle. Uh, I started thinking this is so bad and so stupid and so ill-advised in every way and not redeemable that when I actually really dug in, there is so much there and so much potential, so much gorgeous art. Yeah, uh, the uh, the book that had the most gorgeous, ugliest, most horrible, you can't even look at it, art, is 2099. Chris Boccolo is a storyteller, not an artist sometimes. And so, like, to look at 2099 is a cerebral experience that explores what makes books look cool, but it doesn't always actually make sense to look at it. No, okay, thank you. I'm glad you said that because it is, it doesn't make sense. But it is this made some sense. Yeah. Uh, the 2099 is chaos and it's like, it's not in a good way. Uh, but yes, there's so much about it that is redeemable. I'm glad you said that. Uh, this, uh, especially the, um, the Texera stuff that comes later is I think pretty gorgeous, oh, but so good, especially the, um, you can see the difference between it and Jim Lee in the X-Men crossover to be real yeah. clear with you, but yeah. leagues ahead of the fill-ins Jim Lee had to get when he decided to quit X-Men very suddenly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Javier Seltares, uh, Mark Texera and Adam Kubert are all orbiting around each other at this time doing these books. And I think they do 
a really good job of capturing the vibe of what people felt like horror was in the early 90s. And again, we are still in problem territory in terms of between the comics code and budgets and just our expectations of horror. Comics don't have a lot to work with. Uh, they don't have a lot to go on. This is the time. What I think this time does really well is make horror tropes superhero. There is a lot of Danny fighting. Danny and Death Watch are Matt and Wilson. And on just, I just want to add, you are right about that. I'm going to give credit to a character in a minute that uh, leads to who I haven't even spoken with you yet is by far my favorite character in the entire Ghost Rider mythos. I'm excited to hear who it is. Um, <clears throat> Danny, Catch, and Death Watch are literally one street over literally one street over because wilson appears they are one street over from daredevil and wilson fisk danny is running the exact same fight just trying to protect people and it is in the midst of some horror schlock a lot of the time like the horror is just not horroring but the tropes are there and aesthetically they're working uh, and sometimes the writing, you get that they somebody understands what's supposed to be the vibe. Yes. They just haven't. So they'll literally say, like, they'll give you the right descriptive words and the right nouns for what should be there. They just won't string them together in a way that does something. And like, that's something that Percy has done really well in this most recent ghost rider run is it's not just that he knows the tropes it's that he knows how to write the story and the moments such that they actually speak to what is a horror in a comic in a medium that's not going to have uh gore to the point of like any kind of real problem it's not going to have jump scares it's not going to go so hard that a you know a 12 year old on the street couldn't pick it up and not be scarred for life percy knows how to write all that stuff i think really cohesively this run it's not cohesive but it is all there everybody knows what's supposed to be there they just don't pull it together and that's the 90sism that i was talking yeah. about i think it's yes there's almost like a gelatin missing there's a marrow yeah. missing between the bones of the gutters of yeah. each issue that I think could really do a lot to, if it got that sort of man without treatment, you know, man without fear treatment, do a lot to sort of redeem this era in a really cohesive way. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things this era did give us is the caretaker. And my favorite character is actually the next caretaker. Uh, she is unbelievable. Can't wait to get to her. Uh, but the thing that I walked away from this run with was a sense that it must have been hard as hell to understand what was going on once the book hit breakneck. That's kind of the magic of success. That's also the downfall of success. Whenever I think about the number of like little Sandman stories there are out there, it's horrible. It's actually really hard to track them all down. Uh, if it hadn't been for the Absolute Editions, you would need to pick up a copy of the Dust Covers, which is just the Sandman cover gallery. And uh, that has a, a story in it called The Last Sandman Story, which is Neil Gaiman talking about meeting Morpheus, 
which is also the same thing as his Spider-Man story, which is actually also that story that Alan Moore tells about John Constantine buying him a drink at a bar. So like, it's interesting, but uh, you know, happy about it. So when I was looking at the read orders for these, Oh my gosh, yikes. If I hadn't realized there was that blaze and ghost rider spirits of vengeance book. Ah, uh, because I feel like Dan catch has no personality in this first seven issues. Cause it's the first arc is like seven or eight issues and it never really goes anywhere. Um, it actually takes until roughly issue 25 to go somewhere, which is crazy because we also had to read that. Now we read issue like 25 to 28 or 20, 21 to 24, whatever it was of this series. Yeah. 21 to 24, because that's the introduction of Michael Badalino and Kevo, if you would cut to that beautiful cover you put together for this issue, he is the biggest guy on the cover. Uh, he is vengeance. Who- that is his code name superhero name yeah because he's originally a bad guy who is just hell-bent on destroying the ghost rider as a corrupt cop uh he wants to arrest the ghost rider that's his job and then ultimately a figure in the shadows is shown after you know well after michael badalino's defeat is shown making a deal with mephisto to become vengeance you don't see who it is you just see the do you really want to get revenge on the ghost rider and the guy says yes and so he becomes vengeance but you still don't know who it is. It's seven or eight issues before it's revealed who it is. And they act like this guy's been terrorizing the Marvel universe for five months. He's appeared four or five fucking times and always in ghost rider. And so they reveal it's Michael Badalino and he's almost immediately a good guy within one year. He is working with the midnight suns within one year. He's a good guy. I, my problem with this shifts us over to Punisher territory because I actually don't think uh, the book, the original appearance of Michael Badalino does a great job of, I, if you, uh, if I interviewed Howard Mackey, I would imagine he would be like, well, you know, Ghost Rider's kind of problematic too. So when you think about it, Michael Badalino is actually just a good guy trying to keep the streets safe. And it very much has this Punisher vibe of... Michael Badalino is a guy who will do anything to bring the criminals down. Uh, and he sees Ghost Rider as being one of the bad guys. He doesn't know what Ghost Rider is doing to actually protect people. He just sees wherever Ghost Rider goes, destruction follows in his wake. He just sees a motorcycle jacket and a flaming head. And like every other cop in New York in the 90s, he is profiling. There you go. Uh, and... <laughs> Um, it, I, I do really feel like the vibe is this isn't a villain because he is a corrupt cop who shoots first at, at what he, at what he has decided are the villains. He's not so corrupt that he's like, I just, you know, kill babies because I want to. It really is like, why you gotta kill those kids so loud? Because we want to, because we want to. Thank you. Uh, he, he, he does think he's doing good as Frank Castle does. And for that, he gets in this problematic territory where he is, uh, made vengeance and wreaks a bunch of havoc against Ghost Rider, who again, he still thinks is a bad guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's 
taking revenge on Ghost Rider for doing all this bad stuff. And then he is redeemed when he learns what's actually going on. So when you go from the beginning to the end, it's actually Michael Badalino wasn't such a bad guy this whole time. And now he can help with superpowers. That just feels so what people got wrong about Frank Castle after Frank Miller uh, introduced the conflict between Matt and Frank. Um, I just, I need to jump in because I'm going to get back to that in a second because uh, this was the week that gave us new Punisher. You know, Bruno, I think it's silly. I think, you know, the, how do I feel about the ghost rider movie adaptation with Nicholas cage, Bruno Campos, you get 10 points for spelling Nicholas. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, nice. Didn't even notice. You only could have gotten more points if you referred to him by his full name, Nicholas. Oh, I was going to say Nicholas uh, Ford Coppola. Um, Presley. I say the Ford because, because it, matters. it matters. But I also appreciate the throwing in the Presley there. Uh, I was Keep a big, honest, too. I was a big Lisa Marie fan. so uh, He worked so as, hard for it. As we all should be. She was Honestly, her debut album, that cover of Dirty Laundry is not bad anyway so what we're saying is uh, we want to see her as the ghost writer there you go she'd be a great <laughs> she would be a great naomi kale she's the ghost writer of graceland yeah sold uh yeah bruno i think we both agree that the movie is a product of its time nicholas cage is the wrong casting uh the, just a lot of factors that don't end up giving you much to say is good yeah but i don't think it is such a disaster that like i mean it's kind of just not worth talking about oh yeah and i by the way nobody was coming for you bruno i was just uh we just like to laugh about the fact that he is a coppola yeah every now and then a nepotism uh a product of nepotism uh does is gets very oh but i'm not a nepotism baby Um, and you know, it just sometimes cracks me up, but you know, he definitely got his Oscar the way everybody else did. He bought it. So I think the, but himself, and that's what matters himself. The thing I think the most about vengeance and what vengeance adds to the ghostwriter universe is you're not really a character till you get ripoffs and daredevil. I, I think Daredevil is unique and he doesn't really have a lot of ripoffs. He has also Rands and then he has not Daredevils. You know, he has Electra and, you know, depending on the run, he's got, he's got D-Man. Either. He's got D-Man. Yeah. And then, you know, there's, there's Iron Fist. If you can't get Daredevil, like there's also Rands, you know? Yeah. Uh, but Ghost Rider kind of needed, needed his ripoff. Ghost Rider needed a saber tooth. Or, uh, uh, you know, an Akihiro to his giant flaming head. And so now two guys have a giant flaming head. But I do just want to point out that whatever brand of test siphonate that uh, Vengeance is buying is helping him a lot more. They purposely made him so much bigger than Johnny, which is so stupid because I just we're talking demons, you guys. Well, Michael Badalino is much bigger than Danny and Johnny. Like he that, that's that again, so much of Ghost Rider lore and law is not codified in a way that is exciting because I'm like, let's do it. 
but also means that a lot of these stories are just enmeshed in chaos. If these guys, human forms, melt away and a ghost rider appears and it disappears and their form melts back, why would their sizes change? not change? Like, why would you not be... It just doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, but it could. You know, I agree. Um, I think that's part of what. Okay, and I think that's part of what I didn't love about the '90s. Yeah, that Volume Three is so literal. You know, it's it's the Santiago metaphor from you know Old Man in the Sea. Hemingway swears that Santiago laying down maybe to never get back up again and tasting mercury in his mouth is not him dying. He's just sleepy and his mouth is full of blood. But like, that's kind of like a middle school interpretation. I think a lot of us know that when you taste blood in your mouth and you believe you may never get up again and you have a mortal wound and you've, you know, turned over ownership of your boat to your young squire, it's for death. And like, there's that middle school read and there's that high school read. And I feel like a lot of the nineties went for a really middle school interpretation of these ideas. And so you did wind up with bigger means stronger. Even if like what we're really talking about is agents of, of hell. We're talking about beings who should be limited by the capacity of their imagination for vengeance not the size of their bodies. And that only matters in as far as we regularly see Danny and Johnny outwit and outmatch people 10 times their size. And that definitely comes into play a bit later on in the canon. Yeah. Yep. We agree. Now, you know, we've talked a bunch about a bunch of ghost writers, but there's a ghost writer that uh, I, I think we just got to jump in on. We need to talk about this character because I don't really understand. Is a really interesting thing to talk about because the 2099 line is such a weird thing to talk about, especially because it had about a year of success and then immediately fell off. And Ghost Rider is pretty much one of the last regular ongoing super titles that's introduced. There's Hulk after this, and then there's a couple of like, we reset the universe and hoped for the best kind of stuff. But by the time Ghost Rider 2099 comes into play, the best days of 2099 are long gone, which I think could have been the book's tagline. 2099, our best days are gone. Like, that was the point. It was a misery business kind of factory. So... Ghost Rider 2099 for me. Love Olivia Lord. Ghost Rider 2099 for me represents extremism marked by 90s tropism. And what's interesting is this bad guy is vaguely, I'm sorry, this Ghost Rider is vaguely uh, a sort of bad guy, but not really from Constantine, uh, maybe five years earlier. Uh, written by a lot of the same Vertigo people that were involved in 2099's mapping. So I don't think it's even bad. I think it fits in with books I love. It just felt like everything was, hey, flashback, do the creds, give me many bang drugs for my cyber brains. Can't wait to inject it all into my hard drive hole. And some of that did get to be a little bit Hackers of the World Unite. <laughs> 
the only reason why I actually ended up being really charmed by that is because I thought about other projects that we have covered where people have attempted to do lingo. And I would so much rather read something like this uh, that does, you know, really silly, uh, a certain type of sci-fi lingo uh, than I, I, so I would rather see Len Kaminsky do cyberpunk lingo than read Tom DeFalco write a teenager in 1998. Uh, for as much as I love Spider Girl, and I'm still sitting online screaming at people that although this Ultimate Spider Man looks really cool, I would have liked for Mayday to get a series before we introduce two new Spider Children. Ultimate Spider Girl would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, I really, for as much as I love Mayday, it was often painful watching this like 40 plus year old man try and write teen dialogue and with the dawson's creek like there was always something that i was just like you i'm too old now for kids and like i you know i just i know that this is just so wrong i'm really jamming uh, on that dress willow yeah exactly. <laughs> uh and uh len kaminsky i will at least give him seems to have been really enmeshed in the world of science fiction and cyberpunk writing in particular. He makes a bunch of references, a bunch of the uh, names um, there, the, in, in the corporation that they deal demonics uh, has a Harrison, a Womack and a Rucker, all of whom are references to uh, pro prolific, cyberpunk writers or science fiction writers rudy rucker one of the really big names in uh cyberpunk uh jack womack another really big one uh and i want to say hank harrison uh harry harrison uh is another just like prolific science fiction author all I of had, these guys i just had no idea that leanne womack wrote i'm gonna fucking kill you um i love you but i'm gonna kill you uh I, uh, Len Kaminsky dove face first into this. He really and, did. And yeah, it's not, the writing is not great. Uh, it's even all of the like little drops of phrase were a bit much, but it was actually for me that I was like, I'm, I'm used to this. I've read, you know, William Gibson. I've seen so many, so many guys do this. It was actually that he kept calling everybody pus bags the way that Holden Caulfield calls everybody phonies. Oh. <laughs> my, my bigger problem was the very much this is this is uh catcher in the rye cyberpunk for middle schoolers where just to kenshiro everybody is a fascist everything that's going wrong is because of those damn fascists uh but you know does he really have a perspective not so much not really even a him problem a comics of the 90s problem it was always a thing for me that was tough whenever i you know so uh so for people who do not know i am of the opinion 
that the members of Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave are some of the most attractive men in the history of rock music. Uh, but I, I'm going to take a couple of quick pot shots. Uh, whenever Rage Against the Machine tried to be like, damn the man, uh, save the empire, I would always kind of be like, ah, but you guys go to these huge festivals and you play to so many people with so much corporate sponsorship, right? It can be really difficult to ask me to accept that a Marvel comic really is coming for the fascist machine. But when I do think about, you know, how much I love, uh, and it, it kills me that I, for whatever reason, cannot think of his name right now. Tom Morello, geez, uh, one of the most amazing guys in uh, rock music. Uh, Tom Morello, although, you know, the real most amazing guy in all of rock music is Dave Grohl. But, you know, Tom Morello, whenever he's out there being like, yeah, you know, we got to keep it going for the people. You know, hammers are for people, right? I immediately sort of think, yes, but I stream you on Spotify. And so one of the things that really stood out for me here and why I'm making that comparison, you know, this is 1994. This is that era. And part of what winds up happening with Kenshiro is he winds up falling into a pretension hole, kind of, sort of. But what makes him interesting is I want to see him crawl out of it. I would have loved to have seen the Iron Man 2099 that Kenshiro grows into because he comes to realize that Ghost Rider isn't the way to do it, but rather he can build a suit of armor and he can upload his consciousness into that. And then maybe we get X-51 2099, which isn't just a math problem. It could have been really fascinating to continue to see this character grow because the hardest parts for me are some of the trappings of the genre. Yep. I, I think that's 100% spot on. It is the trappings of the genre that make it really difficult. There are also some of the cooler parts. The interesting thing about Ghost Rider 2099 is as the book starts and pitches itself, uh, it is... This is not uh, a guy possessed by uh, an ancestor or a demon. Uh, this is this is it's kind of the opposite. Uh, it yeah. is uh, a a guy who has his body has died, and it did so while he was plugged into uh, the internet, the Matrix, whatever the hell they call it. And um, his disconnected consciousness in cyberspace encounters something called Ghostworks. And Ghostworks to me was one of the things where I was like, this is cool. Because Ghostworks has the potential to be so many different things. Uh, and if you really wanted to integrate this book into Marvel lore and mythos, that's a really good place to start. And I think Ghostworks, the way that it was um, portrayed in the con, you know, using all of the pop culture icons uh, to be voices talking to Kenshiro in Ghostworks was really cool. Uh, that you never really get an idea of what Ghostworks actually is. Um, means that the writing potential is there for it to be kind of anything in the future. And that to me is super exciting. So rather than being a very mystical thing about demons and hell right off the bat, uh, it is, um, you know, about, about cyberspace. It's, it's about, uh, digitized consciousness being given the power to return and extract vengeance against, uh, you know, 
as a as a little person against the big people as a as a um victim of corporate greed against the corporations and when you talk about vengeance which in standard ghost rider mythology gets a little bit murky and a little bit confusing and i don't want to get into a ton of it here the idea of like this guy was just trying to survive got screwed over by a corporation and is now getting revenge is kind of a lot more straightforward and even though the writing is really at times silly and hacky and schlocky uh at the very least that goal of like he was just trying to survive they killed him and he got the power to come back and fuck them up in return that to me is a really fun good concept and you know i think it actually really ties into a lot of what we're aiming to talk about and what we've been growing our brand to include you know i think that this this oeuvre of writers the 2099 writers that were all brought over after the success of the british invasion at dc i think we can see how so many of them wouldn't just go on to shape vertigo like you know mark buckingham holy shit talk about a guy who goes on to have a career like no one else you know, you've got Chris Boccolo, who, yeah, I mean, obviously, the defining voice of an artistic generation, but also the guy who did both Death miniseries, and that is going to be one of the hottest properties if Netflix's Sandman Season 2 delivers what Season 1 delivered. So I think what we're talking about... Plus doing is, all the lead vocals on Fleetwood Mac. Oh. Oh, you're making Nico jokes now, Kevo. I had to get him back. It was right oh, there. Oh, okay. The well... I could not be prouder of you for that. Um, but the thing about it that I'm trying to push toward is like, you know, we've been talking about doing more Vertigo. And I think you can look at Ghost Rider 2099 and see it kind of like in the negative light that I initially presented it as. But one of the things that Ghost Rider 2099 offers us is a chance to see what Marvel was doing in response. I think that ultimately Vertigo is the much stronger brand. But this idea of reimagined horror right? That is something very central to the idea of what DC was hoping to accomplish with Vertigo. And so when Marvel saw the opportunity to ape it, they went full in. Ultimately, nothing talks more about the importance of Vertigo as a brand than the fact that Axel Alonso would come over and would bring the entirety of the Vertigo staff with him to the Marvel offices. Now, some of those, like Darko McCann, wouldn't necessarily uh, hit it big. He would do some work on cable during the Soldier X era. But we would go on to see Grant Morrison's new X-Men be the defining voice of a generation. And it's so fascinating to me that Grant Morrison did in 41 issues what took Chris Claremont 500 issues to do. So now that's not to say that Grant Morrison did it better, but rather that the virtue of people having done it before made it easier. I kind of think Ghost Rider 2099 is a reflection of where that can go wrong. This is not an example of how Marvel was able to copy the DC British uh, invasion with Vertigo. This is an example of where the ideas are there, and we're pushing for how this is a strong book, but the brand couldn't support the ideas. I think you're right. I think the brand couldn't support the ideas. I think um, I don't actually really understand why Marvel didn't more shamelessly rip off Vertigo. Uh, what a great time to have actually done horror well. <laughs> they had everything they needed. We're, we're talking right now about Ghost Rider. They had everything they needed except good writing of the horror. <laughs> um, yeah. Nobody really did cyberpunk at all. 
accept a few things like this. Also, and one this- very notorious shitbag who did, uh, you know, the seminal work on comics journalism and cyberpunk, Transmet. Oh, yeah. Uh, Transmet's even a little later, isn't it? Uh, 95? Is it start in 95? I, the work on it had to, because I believe its first issue is 96. Okay. Um, 97. I, 97 Spurs public, publication. Yes. Okay. Anyway. Um, cyberpunk, huge resource to mine that comics never really did, which is fine. But at the same time, uh, I, when I look at examples, I think to myself, had this been the opening salvo of a real attempt to do it throughout Marvel. Uh, because the rest of the 2099 line is not super cyberpunk. It's very futuristic, but like the X-Men 2099 don't really... I, I actually, as I was reading it, because I, I had read this long after I read uh, X-Men 2099 for the first time. I want to say I read this in like the early 2000s, maybe like 2003 or 2004. Oh my God, um, I have such a crush on... I mean, obviously you're my partner now, so like I, I continue to be you know in love with you. But like I have such a crush on uh, early 2000s, you doing the exact same things I would do two years years later <laughs> yeah yeah uh so i i had read this and i i just kind of at some point between not reading 2099 in a while i think i just kind of made this idea in my mind of like yeah this is very recognizably the same 2099 uh that i see a lot of the same concepts actually no you really don't i reading it this time around and having just really recently read 2099 again inspired by some of those uh x-men 2099 characters coming back on krakoa um i was really shocked by like this is almost problematically not the same 2099 (laughs) like to have this level of technology and uh the things like transfer city there's no cohesion in the line i were you about to make a stupid joke no no i lost your audio for a second and i wasn't sure if it was my headphones or your audio god i didn't want to be like Um, wait stop your point (laughs) because ultimately that is what happens just to be clear Ghost Rider 2099 is a little too late for the 2099 line, and it's just sort of yep. unceremoniously canceled, like so much of 2099, and pushed into the World of Tomorrow title. Although it does get um, two years, three years. Yeah, I believe it gets 27 issues. Yeah, the not not a horrible run. Um, I mean, kind of for those days it was, but like, there's a lot to dig into here, and I think it is all. At minimum, C grade up to B, B plus grade cyberpunk comics, which is not a big genre, which is there was not a lot of it done. And I think I I really applaud this for doing that at a time when I think it really I wish Marvel had struck while the iron was hot, because I think there could have been a lot more of this in comics. I think it translates really well where i see something like uh horror not doing the same thing like i uh, this is poorly written but could have been great i don't think um danny catch ever could have been great but i think they really you can see they're trying i just think it just was never going to happen until later 
So then I think where we are now is talking about the ghostwriters we've looked at today and really thinking about what is that through line. I think, unfortunately, uh, with the vengeance. Oh, I wish it was vengeance. But with the exception of Naomi, it sort of seems to be sons without fathers. Uh, you know, Kinshiro literally in a fight with his dad. <laughs> You're obsessed with this line. I love it. Uh, Kinshiro says to his dad, when his dad says, but I saw your body, it's ghostwriter. Because, well, hold on, hold on. Oh, by he, all means. he says this, he says this because it, his physical body did die. And his father works for the evil corporation that essentially is responsible for his death. So his father, uh, believes that he's been dead this whole time. His son appears out of nowhere and says, and, you know, his dad says, wait, but I saw your body. And he says, that was just the meat that grew from your rancid seed. <laughs> I love it. have a conversation right now. Yeah, I do. Uh, anytime that comic book refers to fatherhood as seed uh, and got by the comics code when gay kisses couldn't. I don't know. I think it needs to be mentioned. Uh, you know, I think that the real thing outside of Naomi is fatherless sons, uh, mm -hmm. sons who are always looking for some way to prove they are men. I think the big thing that maybe makes this book a little, a little weaker than maybe something like a Captain America or a Daredevil is that Ghost Rider's whole idea is just he's scary looking. <sighs> I mean, yeah, look at all these guys. And all we do is we fill in the scary around it. But there is no central theme of scary with Daredevil. The central theme is that he is the man without fear, a blind man who refuses to be held back by disability or inability to stop a rising tide. With Wolverine, the general idea is he doesn't know who he is, but he's going to scratch your eyes out like a bitch. I'm not sure. But with Ghost Rider, the central idea is he's spooky. And that's just not a canon but as we've talked about here today this is purely for lack of trying on marvel's part At because time, everything yeah. is everything is there their writers throughout time have laid out so much canonicity that if a group of guys just sat down and said all right what is a Ghost Rider? I really wish it had been in the last three years, and I wish it had been Aaron and Percy. And I really wish they had said, between Robbie Reyes and what I, you know, but Jason Aaron, between what you're doing with Robbie Reyes and Ben Percy, what you're doing with Johnny Blaze, what is a spirit of vengeance? What is a Ghost Rider? And you know what? Throw fucking Cy Spurrier in there with Vox Ignis because oh, Cy Man... Spurrier's work on uh, Dan Ketch, Ghost Rider yes. one through yep. five, is some of the finest yep. work in the entirety of Ghost yep. Rider. Uh, and I really do think he struck on something really beautiful with Vox Ignis. And I think uh, I was shocked at how uh, X Men fans responded to this this random ghost rider mutant ghost rider you know krakoan ghost rider uh but between like three brilliant writers like this and canon that takes you from the you know a, i keep using the uh, phrase platonic form but that's how it keeps coming out the platonic form of satan the idea of lilith the midnight suns horror through the 70s 80s 90s like, all the genres of it 
pull this all together. What is a ghostwriter? I have so many ideas. Like I will write this. I will show Bible this. But it's kind of shocking to me. Like I, I feel like in three hours we could do it on air and have an incredible manifesto. So it sort of shocks me after all this time that this company is like, we're gonna keep churning out these books, but uh no, we can't really explain to you why there's a Zarathos and a Zadkiel and also a noble kale. And you know, to that, you made an incredible yeah. point. His I make a lot of them. His yeah, you sure do. <laughs> Historically, Marvel has worked with a group of writers to create a sort of uh, a brain trust or like a power yep. group for whatever yep. it's been over the years. There's always been an X-Men retreat. And I there, love your We hear so much about X-Men retreats. And that's always the hot one. We got a little bit of spice on that with the Avengers at peak endgame time where they were yep. like, the writers are going in on the Avengers. But it has all we know that it happens. Sorry. I'm sorry to cut oh, you off on that. No, but. not at all. Now, of course, we talked a bit about Kushala, <laughs> right? And all I can think about is the fact that there is a voice out there who, if they were brought in to work on Ghost Rider as part of the brain trust, they would change everything. I'm, of course, talking about member of the Black Eyed Peas, Fergie. I really think Fergie has a lot to offer to... <laughs> I hate you. Why? <laughs> At the very least, if you're going to do this to us, I'm glad that you went with uh, the commemorative piss plate. It's the only reason he did it. You know that. <laughs> Um, no, really, truly, Taboo of the Black Eyed Peas has done some incredible work on Kushala and uh, should be treated with dignity and respect. I should Fergie. Fergie is a fucking queen. Uh, you know, she was a voice actress in the land before time. Were you? So No, Charlie um, Brown. Uh, yeah, man. You know, there's <laughs> some of us actually do have some pretty cool claims to fame. But uh, anyway, uh, not all of us got to be cool child actors. So... Um, <clears throat> My through line really is men without fathers. TK, did you have a through line? Did I miss it? Did I laugh because I was getting the Fergie piss plate ready? No, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm so proud of you for doing that. No, I think we are entirely on the same page. I, there are through lines all over Ghost Rider. They are everywhere. The company that owns the property and decides what is can canonically a an attached through line has not connected a single one of them. We can sit on air and do it all day long, and I think that's fun. And I, I, I love to do. You know, I love just talking comics. But I can invest in a lot of these head cannons, knowing that like a brilliant horror writer like Ben Percy is going to come along, and then maybe have a different idea. Uh, I'm perfectly happy to see that happen. But I would. I want somebody needs to come along and say like definitively as of now 2023 this is what a ghost rider is this is who the the kale family is this is what's going on and from there we'll grow and things will change and we'll discover new through lines and some of those won't connect but those are our head cannons the fact that we have gone 50 plus years wow without establishing these are the specific lore ideas behind Ghost Rider. These ones matter. These ones don't. You might have seen that one, but it's just kind of a retcon and we're throwing it out, uh, which we have done for certain characters and certain properties 
over and over again. <laughs> Kevo bringing us the most important news. Uh, Fergie was on uh, Charlie Brown. Hold on. What do we got here? Charlie Brown and Snoopy from 85 to 86 as Sally Brown and Patty. And then uh, Kids Incorporated uh, for six seasons from 84 to 89. And that's that math doesn't even work. I D S. Oh, it looks like we made it. We're Kids Incorporated. And to think that we're wasting all this time on, you know, Ryan uh, Gosling being in the fucking Mickey Mouse Club when we had Fergie and Kids Incorporated. <sighs> I don't need it. Day, who would go on to, as many of you know, write Some Girls Dance with Women and be featured on such successful songs as Force of Gravity featuring BT. Um, you know, was also a member and of is now officially the member of NSYNC that we all like the best. Uh, no, not this I'm, guy, not the guy. I know you like here. Joey Fatone. The, I know oh you like God, Joey Fatone the best. Oh, hot. Why? Why? Uh, he goes to my, that hot? He, he goes to my sister's gym. He's, he's too beautiful to be real. I don't even understand why Joey Fatone is. So well, attractive. next time we go to Disney, we will visit my sister and we'll be like, Hey, we got to go to the gym. I actually was lucky enough to, uh, be a cast member that was on his like, uh, security detail uh, a couple times. Oh, in wow. Magic kingdom. Very nice guy, actually. Like, really, really, like, very friendly to cast members. It's very nice. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah. Joey uh, Fatone is not a ghostwriter. No, but at this point, he could be. There's no, there are no rules. Uh, and that's, that is, that is the problem. Like, let's give us some rules, man. Go I on. I didn't make you flash that. Well, Bruno asked if asked for corroboration if she was in the land before time, and yeah, no, no, she was not. Go for it. Absolutely. If I'm incorrect, I don't want another Swift Ham situation on my hands. You know what I mean? She was in Marmaduke. <clears throat> I don't even know what that <clears throat> is. So. Isn't that one of the names for Satan? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I got two Beelzebubs with me, and... Uh, I want to roll this thing to a conclusion. We got two yep. more amazing Ghost Rider episodes coming your way. And this yep. Saturday, we are bringing you the Marvels and Loki finale. Can't wait for that shiz. And then Sunday, we're going to take a look at more of your favorite television shows, though, like all of them are over. Loki's over, and we're talking about that Saturday. Uh, Lower Decks ended, and we talked about that last Sunday. So I guess, uh, damn, TK, you got to talk about some game shows. Uh, get well, ready. And also, the good news is that we are coming up on the holiday season. So for whatever we decide, I am going to make your heart grow three sizes someday. Sounds like the fastest way to kill me. Can't wait. Well, until your enlarged heart takes over the entire screen and crushes all of us. Kevo, you do such a beautiful job producing and putting together this show, even when it's not topics that you're directly connected to. But until we find out who you want to get vengeance on, where can everybody find you online? Uh, well, you can find me around the socials at Kevo Reilly. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Uh, Teak, where can the folks at home find you? You can find me at TK Elemental. Nico, where can everybody find you? Me? Well... You guys can find me all over this show at X's for show every week. That's usually someday during the week and Saturdays and Sundays. You guys no. can also check me out. What? 
do you first so I don't have to switch to the X's for show banner and then back to your name and then turn it off to up. create more work for me. Dove, dovetail. Dovetail. They talk to me like this all the time. Clearly, yeah. I'm just. And if we didn't, look. you'd fall down a lot. Oh my God, guys. I Clearly, if I didn't, I would just say everybody's been in the land before time. So, anyway. Um, I hope everybody has a great night. You guys can find me at Nico Action. <laughs> Until next time, we will check you guys out here at X is for show. That's X is for show. And three things we need you guys to do. Number one, please stay safe. Uh, avoid crazy screaming people on the internet. Number two, we would love you guys uh, to be bre- to be brave and evolve daily. I got to come up with a shorter outro. Anyway, stay safe, be brave, evolve daily. We'll see you. Don't make deals with Satan. At least try. You know, we know it's hard, but try.